Hello and welcome to the Day One Pad Podcast, episode 472. I'm your host, Ryan Johnson. We went from a packed show last week to just you and me, Matt. Yeah. So how you doing? I'm doing all right, yeah. That's Matt Lawrence. <laughs> Thank you for showing up. Everyone else bailed. They're like, we're done with you. How long has it been since we had a packed show like that last week? I guess it would have been the last time Adriano joined us before his break. I guess so, yeah. We haven't had like a four person yet, right? That was four. Tim was there. Oh, right. I thought Tim was out last week, too. Okay, never mind. Or do you mean five? I don't know if we ever did five. Did we ever do five? We've definitely done five in person. Yeah. I think we may have done six. Six? Well, we had our very first episode. We had one of your friends from college. I forget her name. Oh, Ellen. Yeah, there's me, Marty, Ryan, you, obviously. Uh, I think in my head. I think that's it, right? So that's, was that four? Was it? No, Adriano. Adriano yeah. was there for the first, I think. Oh, yeah, I think so. So five. But I'm fairly certain we've had Wes on as well. He, he, yeah, he was on a couple times. So wasn't it like myself, you, Adriano, just thinking in terms of like the circle of the room, how we were sitting, mm-hmm. Wes and Aaron? I guess it's just been five again then. Yeah. Crazy. We've been doing this a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, so we ran out of our fun facts last week from Game Informer. Now, I don't know the quality of, you know, all these websites with fun facts about video games. Um, I found one here called uh, factretriever.com. They have 48 high-scoring video game facts. Okay. All right. So we're just going to go. I'm going to do a couple because 48 is quite a bit. And then some of these aren't. You'll see what I mean when I get to the second one. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So number one here. Contrary to popular belief, the first video game was not Pong. It was preceded by Tennis for Two in 1958 and space war in 1962 what what were those made on because pong was made on a like a an oscilloscope um i do remember now i do remember seeing some this this wasn't the 50s this was like still the 70s like early 70s okay. it had some sort of screen you put over your tv and then you would play within that that screen that had like cutouts or whatever in it oh this was that like I think I've heard about these where wasn't there a product and I think it's these that it were controversial as video games because you're using those overlays, which are analog, like <laughs> physical things. They're not a signal being displayed by the TV. Right. Yeah. Or entirely displayed by the TV, I guess. Um, Tennis for two looks like the same thing, man. Like the way you were saying, the oscilloscope. That's interesting. So like maybe Pong is like as made famous by. <laughs> Can you really call these video games, though? What do you mean? These these feel like, you know, a science project that someone did. You know what I mean? It wasn't... I don't think this was ever packaged as a game. Was it? Pong probably was. It's your at-home oscilloscope. Play Tennis for Two. Well, like, like, Tennis for Two sounds like a, like a, a, already a consumerized product, right? Well, okay, this is, this is from Wikipedia here. Tennis for Two, also known as Computer Tennis, is a sports video game that simulates a game of tennis. Oh, thank you. As one of the first <laughs> games developed in the early history of video games, American physicist William uh, Higginbotham designed the game in 1958 for display at the Brookhaven National Laboratory's annual public exhibition. After learning that the government research institution Donner, Mo- Donner Model 30 analog computer could simulate trajectories with wind resistance, he designed the game within a few hours, after which he and technician Robert V. Dvorak built it over a period of three weeks. The game was displayed on an oscilloscope and played with two custom aluminum controllers. His visuals show a representation of a tennis court 
viewed from the side, and players adjust the angle of their shots with the knob on their controller and try to hit the ball over the net by pressing a button. So it's not it's not quite pong. It's it's literally the cross section. Um, I'm looking at it here on YouTube, mm-hmm. and it's like the cross section of if you were a spectator on the side of a tennis thing, where the net uh, you're seeing sort of like the side of the net, and it's going it's kind of going away from you across the court. I guess here's my question. This is kind of what I said. You know, this guy just like saw something and said, oh, I can do something with that. Mm-hmm. And then bada boom, you got a, a video game. Yes, it's a video game. But is the prototype considered a video game? Do you know what I mean? That's a good question because I'm even reading here. So this video is by the Dot Eaters and it says here, Tennis for Two is commonly regarded as the original video game. You can bounce on over and read, watch, listen and play the history of Tennis for Two at my video game history website. So, I mean, clearly this person's considering it a video game. I don't know. That's a good question. I suppose it would be because, you know, that's a, we can we often consider the first invention of something the first. So this guy, you know, it would still be the first video game. You know, maybe Pong would be because I always hear it's like the father of video gaming, but maybe I'm not really paying attention to it. And maybe it's something more like the father of modern video gaming, like at home consoles, like Atari and, and Pong. Were the like the original at home gaming systems? Yeah, you're not getting an oscilloscope out. Like, there's actually a bit of a graphic to it. They weren't in every home in the 1950s and 60s. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. And it was never packaged and, and and sold. But Pong and the Atari were. So anyway, that's a that's an interesting fun fact. I did not know that. When it when was in television? Because in television in- lives literally in a product called in television lives. Um, what? Like in television was a set of games. 1979 to 84 in television because yeah. I can't remember it was like a I can't remember if it was a console or what it was but it was definitely an at-home gaming thing but I don't know if it was you know cartridges or whether you bought it and all the games were already on it I don't remember now I watched a documentary on it a number of years ago but I remember it you know being like pretty loved by gamers and by the people who were making it at the time but that was that was late 70s um Atari was a little earlier than that okay and then there, there was a bunch of arcade games in the 70s too not at, not at home console games but arcade games right Arcade games, I guess, are like a totally different beast as well, because like, do you remember, uh, I don't know if you ever played it, but you ever played, um, um, I think it's called Missile Command. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there was like a mod for that to make it faster and better in some way. And that like back then, like that wasn't a piece of software necessarily. That was a piece of hardware. Yeah. And maybe some software on the chips, of course. But like in general, it was another board that they were connecting to it. It wasn't like today where you would just sort of release a patch and it was you know, you're not you're not getting a you're not getting a board and taping it or t- plugging it into your PS5. You're you're you know just downloading it over the internet. Well, yeah, because that's what that's what the whole point of the cartridge was. It was literally hardware that was that was you know acting as software in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Even the like the GBA, like that's why the batteries yeah. w- with the saves would would die if the battery <laughs> right. died. Yeah. So the first generation of consoles were on sale between 1972 and 1980, and it included the Magnavox Odyssey. Telstar, Home Pong, and Color TV game. So I think the the Magnavox Odyssey was came out in 1972, and that was the first home video game system. What does Magnavox make now? <laughs> I kind of feel like they made VHSs, like blank VHSs that I have. This thing looks awesome, though. Is it? Sorry, that predates Pong. You said? Well, it predates the Atari. I think it predates Pong, the Atari. I think Pong was on this. Okay. Oh, Pong's already getting ported. Like Doom runs on everything. Pong, <laughs> Pong but, uh, runs on everything back then. 
Atari was making PCs back then, weren't they? Not PCs, but well, I guess that maybe they were PCs. Were they PCs? Well, there's the Commodore as well, which was like kind of a PC. I don't know. Like what, what's weird about this stuff is like we kind of see it in a marketing sense nowadays mm-hmm. where like, you know, I've seen a Commodore. I've seen an Atari. Well, I have an Atari behind me. Um, but I like these other like really kind of nuanced things that I don't own. And so I like I can kind of see them and identify them. But then when you're like, is that a PC? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I've just I just kind of under I kind of know the form factor and the shape. I know it's but, part of the history of gaming, but I don't really know what it is really fully. But you have the Atari 2600. That's right. right. Yep. That was a game console. But, but game Atari console, yeah. Atari had computer computers like, ah. l- like the Commodore. Okay. Uh, my dad actually used them before he switched to uh, to Max. I feel like that might be worth some bucks. <laughs> so I'm just like, when did Atari when did Atari start here? They started 1972. I think they I think they rose pretty quickly. Like I don't think it was like a really long time between their beginning and then and actually like getting the Ataris out, like getting or becoming Atari that we are aware of now. Yeah. So this is interesting. So Atari, you know, made Pong or they developed Pong in 1972. And so apparently it came out on the, the Magnavox Odyssey first back in 1972. Okay. Jeez. So I, I looked up, out of curiosity, Atari computer. And there is an Atari portfolio. <laughs> a, 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 an Atari portfolio 16-bit personal computer tested working. And it's a little tiny, like, laptop with, realistically, a calculator display. This is hilarious. There's also other ones that are like, you know, not not like this, but this is the first one that showed up on eBay for me. And this is hilarious. Not worth all that much. This one isn't anyway. Mm. And this one's labeled as computer DOS Terminator QWERTY LCD broke. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know what all that means, but I assume maybe it like made an appearance in the Terminator movie because it kind of looks like something that they would bring up in like the the future war scenes. So this is kind of a side um conversation here but there's a show on apple tv plus called mythic quest it's about video game developers right mm-hmm. in the show they have this um uh this older guy so it takes place in modern times but they have this older guy who's a famous sci-fi author right but they have a flashback episode where he he's in the 70s and he he's trying to write sci-fi novels and he's just not very good at it he's not a good author right but he walks by a store and in it, he sees Pong, and he has this revelation of what the future is going to be with video games, right? But I, I always thought, oh, like I always like just in my head, it was like this is not the right time period for an Atari to be running Pong. So I didn't know what he was looking at. It might have been this Magnavox, ah, because they had like a console sitting in the storefront, like like window, right? And I didn't know what the console was. I didn't recognize it, but I, I do wonder if it was a Magnavox. It must have been like a weird time to be, I mean, weird in, in comparison to what we know now, to be in a, in a time frame in which you're not sure if electronics are going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, like right now, like I'm, you know, you and I are both surrounded by computers and gadgets and <laughs> iPads cancer. and God knows what, <laughs> like what the heck's going on, right? But it's like, there's just a lot of electronics now and there's no question the electronics are going to, you know, stick around for, you know, a number of years to come. You know, there's no sort of expiry date on this electronics trend. But back then it was sort of like you could walk by the computer store and if you were interested in it, like, you know, it's a bit of a window shopping situation. You go inside and the stuff in there, you had no idea whether that was going to go anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, oh, this is vital for work or this is vital for this. It was, you know, still very much a pen and paper 
situation. And computers, sure, we know we're constantly called like, you know, this is the future, this is the future, but maybe as maybe the future for business, you know, mm-hmm. you don't, you have no, like Magnavox releases a console. It's sort of like, is this going to be the future of, of, <laughs> of games or like, are, are people really going to stop playing soccer outside? And you know, like it's, well, it it's funny too that that Magnavox, I I don't I don't I don't think they're still around, and Atari is is a you know a shell of their former self. Right. It's funny that the two starters of home consoles are just kind of nothing now. It's a little mean to Atari, but you know, basically. I mean, the pioneers are usually. Uh, yeah, that's so strange though. It's 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 usually because they it, like think think about it right where if. <laughs> If like somebody makes like a like um what's something that somebody anyone can make with like a, a little bit of effort? A website is a good example. Somebody makes like a website and it's just a blog, right? So like blogs have been figured out. <laughs> you know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And like someone comes out with we're talking about video game history, they come up with a video game history website and it's a blog. And they just post blog posts on it. You go and you you look at it and you're like, man, it, this really pisses me off. They don't include, you know, the, the the dates that the company shut down, they don't include the dates that things came out, they don't include w- pictures or enough pictures. I could do this better. And so you leave, you know, you, you can't, you leave with that, that ambition and you start your own blog, which is, you know, again, easy enough to do nowadays. And you just start writing about it. And then you beat that other, that other person out. And they're so rooted in what, because they're, they're the pioneer, right? Mm -hmm. So they go like, why would you want pictures? It's all about the text and it's whatever, (laughs) but you did it, you know, you did it better arguably by, because you eventually would outbeat them. That's kind of seemingly what kind of seems to happen yeah all right well let, let me um i actually have a contradictory uh fun fact in this list so right. the, the second one's kind of boring you know mm-hmm. we already knew this we talk about this a bunch the video game industry is worth more than the film and music industries combined yeah boring right mm-hmm. um but this, this third one engineer ralph Baer is often held to be the father of video games mm-hmm. his brown box video game system designed in 1967 paved the way for all future consoles so not the Magnavox, but the brown box. But but again, this looks like someone's little you know prototype that they made, but never actually sold. Well, like there there's actually a person in a Netflix documentary, and I don't I don't know if it's this, but this is why I bring it up. That they they like kind of have a conversation about how like their father was like one of the I think it's I think it's for video games is one of the pioneers of video games, and he had a product, but it just didn't do too well. And, you know, it, it gets buried, but, you know, through the internet and people talking about it and then, you know, people actually finding, oh, I have one of these in my closet and stuff that right. this, that this like, that it kind of gets like immortalized. Um, and then also by the documentary as well, obviously. So like, I wonder if it's this, I have no idea if it's that, but. I sent you a link to it. Uh, check this thing out. So, but 1967 to 1968, that's not too far away from 1972 when the Magnavox came out. Right. Okay. Yeah. No. This isn't it. No. The other thing was. I'm pretty sure the other thing was more modern. Is that a golf ball? Yeah, but it's funny because it looks like the like uh, a joystick, right? Yeah. Just just slapped a golf ball on there. <laughs> I find it interesting that he has like a like there's like a toy gun already attached to it and stuff. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Man, this this looks like something that somebody built for my like final project. Like we all <laughs> we all had projects like this for our final project in in, in college. That's wild. It looks awesome though. Like it looks horrible, but it's awesome. Yeah. So this isn't this hasn't been commercialized at all, right? Like this. No. Like like he didn't he didn't re- like this wasn't there wasn't several of these at any point. I mean, I haven't read through this um, history here, but it definitely looks just like yeah, just something he made. Interesting. Oh, here you go. Look at this. No, I just quickly glanced through this. Sanders licensed the brown box to Magnavox, which hey! released the system as the Magnavox Odyssey in 1972. There you go. 
So yeah, we found it. This is the OG console. I was also I also found out that Magnavox was purchased by uh, Philips. Oh, okay. At some well. at some point, <laughs> uh, and according to Wikipedia, here it says Magnavox brand name products are currently made by uh, hopefully I'm saying this correct, correctly Funai F U N A I under license from trademark owner Philips. See, I would do something crazy if I was Philips. I'd come out at CES, you know, and be like Magnavox 2000 or something. We're getting back into the console space. Actually, hilariously, I just went to Magnavox.com and there's a Magnavox TVs. Whoa, really? Magnavox TVs, portable speakers, headphones, cinema systems, the list goes on, boom boxes. And this website's, I mean, pretty modern. This is a smart TV. This is a Magnavox Roku TV. Oh my god. Hell yeah, <laughs> Magnavox is back, baby. Wait, wait a second. Actually, this is this is 720p though. 720p though, so like I don't know what. Magnavox is an American company. I didn't think American companies made TVs. I mean, it kind of sounds like it's through a bunch of like licensing now, potentially, though. So these aren't Magnavox TVs. They're they're just slapping their name on it. That's a guess. Yeah, I have no idea. But Amazon.ca Magnavox TV currently unavailable. Well, it's over. The, the, <laughs> the dream is the dream is dead. The, the Magnavox. <laughs> the Magnavox what a revelation, though. This little fun fact has taken us on here. A little, little crazy. They have 55 inch 4K Ultra HD Roku TV. Look how thick that is, though. Holy. Well, I was kind of curious whether or not. Okay, well, okay, here you go. And this is crazy. All right. How much do you think a DVD VCR combo is? <laughs> DVD VCR? Yeah. I would. What would I pay for it? I watch. What do you think? Like, like you go into the store and you you want to know what's on that price tag. Like you're making an assumption of what's on the price tag. What do you think? 40 bucks. So this is Magnavox. This is the Magnavox store on Newegg.ca. So this is Canadian pricing. This is a brand new Magnavox DVD player and VCR combo, DV225MG9, $799.99. Oh my god. Again, though, like how old are these things? Like, who oh no, date first available, August 18th, 2022. <laughs> Woo, baby! The, the Magnavox dream continues to live. They sell clock radios. I'm done with them. I told you, it's I'm, just a, a miscellaneous. I'm done, I'm done with them. I'm curious about these TVs, though, man. I every time every link every Amazon link I'm clicking on from Google is or not is not panning out. They're all they're still selling 720p TVs. Uh, I was just in Best Buy the other day and I found a Samsung 720p. I'm gonna vomit. I think it's due to the size, though. Like a like a smaller TV. Oh, do, doesn't yeah. really benefit from the higher res as much. Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> If your phone is greater than 720p and it's a it's a five or six inch like display, come on now. You can't have a 12 inch TV and not have it be at least 1080. What do you mean by 12 inch TV? I don't know what size you were looking at, but you're saying this, you're saying 32? Yeah. No. no. 32 is rather small, Ryan. Think about your current look at the display you got right now. It's a 1440, 27 inches. Mm-hmm. A 32 inch tv at 720 yeah but it's a tv so it's not placed in the same spots usually no toss it a, a monitor a toss monitor is up. designed to be on a desk get it out of here no it's designed to be on a desk by the watch it by the way there is a magnavox dvd remote app <laughs> what <laughs> on, a, on android but i don't think it's official <laughs> this this has been insane man this yeah it's been a little insane actually but you couldn't find the tvs for sale anywhere they all say currently unavailable, but like the website looks, you know, pretty modern. But I mean, it, I mean, like modern could be five years ago. Like, I have no idea. Right. Wow. All right. Well, that was fun. All right. Uh, three fun facts. Not good enough. That took us on a journey. So 
We will leave it at that. Wait, were you going to do more? I don't know. There's 48 here, but oh, you're going to do that... you were going to do all 48 fun facts? No, but I'm just saying, like, depends on how much we want to break it up between episodes. Oh, it's, that's up to you. Like, I mean, three is pretty good, I think. Three is good, then. All right, let's move on here. Um, our next story, or our first story, Apple opens up App Store to game streaming services. This is from The Verge. Starting today, Apple is opening up its App Store to allow game streaming apps and services. This means that services like Xbox Cloud Streaming and GeForce Now, which previously were only accessible on, uh, on iOS via a web browser, will be able to offer full-featured apps. Quote, developers can now submit a single app with the capability to stream all the games offered in their catalog, uh, end quote. Um, these changes apply worldwide, according to Apple. So now, we, we covered quite a bit, actually, the um, Apple versus Epic uh, uh, trials. Mm-hmm. And part of, part of that, what happened during that time period is, like, Microsoft was launching their cloud streaming service on mobile. And obviously, Apple was kind of in the way and didn't want to give them their own app. And if you recall, Apple's solution was that Microsoft submit every game that's on Game Pass that you stream to Apple, and it would have to be approved through their App Store review policy. And that is just, like, unreasonable, you know, in a sense. That'd be like giving every single movie on Netflix to them just to kind of watch and approve. Yeah, it would be crazy. But that was Apple's solution, and so Microsoft said no. We'll do the the web browser thing, but we want, you know, a, a dedicated app. So that's now going to be possible. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, you and I had a conversation before. I don't know if we had it on air or off air a while ago where we were kind of theorizing that Apple with Apple Arcade would wanted to expand. And we were thinking, oh, maybe they'll start accepting console games and they'll stream them to phones. And then like Apple will effect- effectively have monopolized uh, the market on the iPhone and on the uh, various, you know, Apple TV and whatever other devices that uh, they would allow it to run on. The one question is, though, um, they've been looked at several times now for antitrust. Um, iPhones have been affected by regulations uh, a lot recently, like obviously affected as well, not just little nuanced things, something like this, the, the USB-C mm-hmm. uh, charging rather than lightning and things like that. And so it's a question as to whether our theory was actually correct but they don't want to be the monopoly that they maybe once once did. And this is all speculation, but maybe they're getting ready because there are iPhone games now. Uh, right. Stuff like Resident Evil 8, I think you said. Uh, the full full version of Death Stranding is coming. And I think there's more. I think you've already played one, right? Uh, well, Resident Evil Village and Resident Evil 4 uh, came to it already, are currently available. Death Stranding is coming in like four days. And um, Assassin's Creed Mirage is coming at some point. So now that they're actually just native apps running right on the right on the device, mm-hmm. it's not out of the realm that they could get added to Apple Arcade. Right. And so, and it wouldn't even be streaming at that point, at least not on the iPhone. Right. So maybe they're like, oh shoot, if we start a Game Pass, then we're really going to get looked at by, uh, by regulators. But they so- know that running locally on the device is better for input delay than streaming. So maybe in a very Apple way, they're going to they're going to advertise this. So they're going to allow Game Pass on the on their phones. They're going to allow like Luna and whatever else that whatever, whoever else wants to come on there. GeForce GeForce uh, now and all that. And then they'll come out with this argument of, well, ours has the lowest latency. Ours runs around the device. Ours doesn't require data. Maybe. 
It's all well, speculation, but it's a little bit of an eyebrow raiser as to why they would suddenly allow this. Well, I have two theories. Now, you actually kind of talked about this um, way back when when all this stuff was heating up. Um, you you thought that Apple might want to get into the streaming game, right? Yeah, like that's that's what that's how I see Apple Arcade, quote unquote, working on an Apple TV. Whereas like I, I see them fully get, like the, the original theory and still, you know, partially intact today is that they're They might get into streaming, but mm-hmm. but but like now that the phones run the games now, it might be a double whammy. Oh, run it late natively on your iPhone. There's no input delay and whatever. But if you want to take it onto onto like the Apple TV, maybe you mirror your phone or maybe there is a streaming service like an Xbox Cloud Gaming available as well. And there's cross save with Apple Arcade and whatever else. Like maybe that's what's happening, because even you said, Ryan, Apple seems to be doing, you know, a bit of a 180 on gaming, mm-hmm. even on the even on their uh, their personal Macs. computers like their Mac. Yeah, the, the MacBooks and all that. So like, you know, what what's kind of would they would they not get into this subscription game or streaming game? You mean because Apple Arcade already is a subscription? Yeah, like like in, into the streaming game. But like, I guess what I mean more so is like Apple Arcade is a st- subscription service for what was traditionally known as mobile games, right? Yeah. Now mobile games can be full console games, as kind of shown now. And yes, like, I know there's a few examples like the old Bioshock release on iPad, etc. Mm-hmm. I know there's a few examples, but this has been like a reignited sort of. Um, front if you will and so is this is apple gonna say like ooh, you know kind of rubbing their hands together like we, we you know if we get all these other people on on board we're not going to be antitrust anymore like we're not going to be looked at and we can say oh like our, a bunch of our games play locally and you can play it across the apple ecosystem and maybe you can stream it from the iphone rather than a data center and it's faster or you know, whatever right or 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 they do have a, a streaming service like sky's the limit here well, but this, I, I theorize that they are going to get in on this sort of console gaming sphere in in one way or another. Well, this is this is this is one of my two theories was that I think they might either take Apple Arcade and make those games streamable, or have a streaming service maybe on top of the Apple Arcade, maybe an Apple Arcade you know Plus or something where you can get those those AAA games streaming to your phone, right? And if they did that, it would look very bad that they shut out competing streaming platforms, right? So maybe they're allowing them to come on because they're going to launch theirs at some point soon. And that might keep the regulators off their back if, if they are seen allowing these services. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I mean is like right now they're being looked at like if, if they came out, if they came out with um, any sort of, of game conglomeration service outside of the current Apple Arcade the way it sits, because mobile games seem to be like sort of a separate thing, especially since Google Play has the same type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But if they came out with like, oh, hey, you can play, you know, a full console game, like let's, I'll just take a random one, Fallout 4. You can play Fallout 4 with Apple Arcade, but you people that have the uh, Xbox Game Pass subscription and you're, you, you're using cloud gaming, well, you can't. Like you can't do that on iPhone, but you can but you can stream you can stream Fallout Four on Apple Arcade. Mm-hmm. Then the regulator is gonna be like, like what do you, like what do you mean though? You know what I mean? Like it's gonna be yeah. an eyebrow raise. Like so you're saying that you're not gonna allow your competitors to compete with you? Right. Like is that is that what you're doing? And then there's gonna be a bunch of crap passed and all that. Uh, the other thing is that just that Apple is getting into gaming in a in a, a more serious way recently. And maybe they just want their phone to be seen as a gaming platform now, you know, and so they're going to allow these other apps to do so. 
because they they want the device itself to be seen as a a, a must a must um what do you call it the, the the place where you where you are playing your games now. Do you see them advertising that type of stuff though on the stage? When they're doing a conference, well, do you really see them bringing in like Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and all that? Not not on the stage, if especially if they're going to be competing with streaming. If if they're competing with streaming, then no, they will not bring them on stage. However, Apple has brought Apple has always like tried to be a gaming system. Even back in the Steve Jobs era, they they had games on it. I mean, he freaking worked at Atari uh, <laughs> before Apple, right? Uh, coding coding games and stuff. Right. Yep. Um, so games have always like shown up at different events. Uh, I remember there was even Epic. Epic used to be on the Apple stage, and now they're at war with Apple, right? But they used right. to be on the Apple stage showing off their different Unreal graphics running on iPhones and stuff, right? Um, now, when you ask Apple now, why are they getting into gaming? It said they said that they finally have basically all of their platforms are now capable gaming machines, whereas before you had to buy like the highest end Mac to even barely play games right but now with with, since they switched to apple silicon literally every single one of their devices now is capable of playing full triple a games and so that's why they're like dipping into that big market we just talked about how big it is with bigger than movies and and music right so i think they want their i want the they want the iphone to be seen particularly by younger players i think gen z plays a lot more mobile games than any other generation they want the iphone to be the place to be to play games do you do you see any I don't know evidence or anything that the M1 and all the sort of Apple chips were made in order to do this or do you think it's a happy accident where they made they were like we want to get off of you know these third party chips like Intel and then they just make the best chip they can and then they're just like oh hey these things can play games too I don't know how far out they thought about this they, obviously when they were developing Apple Silicon they've been working on it for years while still having Intel products on sale, right? And they still do have some Intel, right? No, they're completely switched over now. Okay. Yeah, the Mac Pro was the last holdout, and that, that finally switched over. They might still sell an Intel version or not. I don't recall whether they took that down or not. But anyway. But, the, but it's not going to be like, like again, on the stage type thing. They're not going to ever show like, here's our four M1s or M2s or whatever, and then our Intel <laughs> offering. Oh, no. No, not at all. Never. Um... What were we talking about? Oh, I don't know if the very first version of M1, although they showed off Tomb Raider running through their translation software on M1 when they announced the very first Apple Silicon chip. However, with the M... That was an older game though, right? At the time with the M1? It was, yes. But they still showed it off and, and running pretty well with the translation software. Because it, right. it was a... Um, what do they call it? Oh, the... Um, Something 64. What What is it? <laughs> uh, X86. Like the x86? x86 like converter? Yes. Yeah. It took it from being an x86 to a, a an ARM platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the M3 chips and the uh, A... I can't remember what number they're on for the iPhones. A17 Bionic chip or just A17 chip. They've added gaming features to the chip. So now okay. they do like ray tracing, right? Now they do stuff like DLSS on the chip. So now they are focusing on gaming features in developing their Apple Silicon. This is a weird, this is a weird tale. Like, I mean, a lot of this conversation we've had is a lot of like speculation mm-hmm. and, uh, and like on, on the face value, it's just like, Hey, we have powerful processors now and we're able to play games, mm-hmm. but you know, you're like, you're right. Like the reason why we even have these theories is because this market is so large, right? You know, but it's, it's, 
I guess what I'm really getting hung up on is, well, A, they, they've never done this before, so it's, it's, it is a bit of a mystery. But B is, you know, like you just said, they, they added the ray tracing to the chip. It's sort of like, why would they do that unless there was an ulterior motive? Because if you sort of think about, you know, PCs in terms of power, like a productivity PC in terms of computing power is typically less than that of a gaming PC. A gaming PC is is high end, right? It's it's, it's able to render graphics and you know show high fidelity uh, graphics and push a lot of pixels. Um, and the accessories are no slouch either, right? Like wireless mice that are one millisecond or like less and input delay and you know et cetera, et cetera, right? Like gaming gear. The point is is like high end gaming gear. There's high end gear computationally speaking, mm-hmm. right? Whereas Apple, formerly, I suppose. Um, was a productivity company. And so you wouldn't need that. <laughs> you know, like you wouldn't, they would never look at it and go, oh no, our, our, our processor's only getting, like giving this game 40 FPS. Mm-hmm. It would just be like, well, like that's pretty good considering most of our customers are going to be editing video. <laughs> right. You know, um, I this feels, this feels strange because <laughs> it just, it just feels strange because if they, if, if they if they're adding these 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 things already onto the chip, why haven't they sort of divulged their plans? Or are there no plans? But then there must be plans because why not do it? You know what I mean? Like it's such a a like a, a tug of war in my head. I think it's just because Apple's never been a gaming like no like, like it's, it's a big joke that Apple's Apple products can't game right among among like PC gamers. Mm-hmm. And it's been that way for years, right? Um, so I think it's just hard to think about them actually taking this seriously because every time they've talked about games it's always just been oh we made some partnership with ea to get need for speed on the mac mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's not been any kind of serious thing and so maybe it's kind of a a boy cried wolf situation you know where apple's talked about oh yeah we we, we love gaming and we our, our, our Macs can game of course they can game right but it's just like well there was like the sims and like that was it that was all i could play on there you know <laughs> yeah, yeah so now it's hard to believe them when they say they are taking it seriously um, but I think since the M- M1 series of chips, I think they've proven now that they are taking it seriously, you know, with what motivation that's like the money. ultimate money. Yes. But if it's, if it is money, but like the way I see it is like adding ray tracing to your, your chip, to your hardware is a big step to me. Mm-hmm. And I would have expected the plans to be already divulged at this time. But what, what do you need them to divulge? I mean, like, like <laughs> Apple is interested in making money. Gaming is a massive entertainment industry. Wouldn't yes. they want to get a piece of that? No, y- yes, they would. But my, I guess my, my problem is, is that the image of Apple has never been gaming. And I still see Apple without the, the, the gaming image. I haven't seen them, you know, go up on stage. And yes, they've shown off Death Stranding and stuff like that. Like, you know, no doubt. But Death Stranding and Resident Evil Village are not brand new games. Assassin's Creed Mirage is a, is a big one. Mm-hmm. That's a big get in terms of its newness, right? For sure. Like, no doubt. I guess I guess what I'm just expecting is I'm expecting them to be <laughs> talking more about it because they're putting a lot of work in it. And, I, and I'm seeing more work get put in than marketing, well, which is why I'm so like caught up in this. Like they probably have something under the hood. They're working on like a Game Pass clone and they're and they're getting ready to fire it up. I... I don't think it's their main focus. Their their computers are still for productivity, like first and foremost, right? However, their iPhones are just popular, you know, because they're popular. Um, but they are the most popular gaming system, you know. 
Apple makes a ton of money on games just on their iPhones alone, right? And so I think they're just either solidifying that, tapping into it, or trying to grow and expand that. But but see, to me, they've gone too too far for that. The reason why I say that is because, yes, there's a lot of games out there that have high fidelity, but a lot of the games that people are playing are not computationally demanding. Mm-hmm. A lot of these games are games that you, you know, say build a base and you build a base and you play that game for years. So some of these games now are 10 years old or more. And so these games have probably gone uh, undergone some sort of um, upgrades over the years and maybe some even some graphical overhauls, which would require more computation, more, more, more computational power. But the, the point of the matter is, is like having what is it four sort of console games released on your on your platform is not enough to justify the ray tracing angle to me. Maybe I don't play mobile games enough, but I do open up the Play Store every now and then and just sort of browse. And yes, I know it's Android versus iPhone, but it's you know, similar, similar app stores. Mm-hmm. And I see some surely, surely there's some, you know, nice looking 3D games, but they're not as nice looking as like a PS5, a full blown PS5 game. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and a lot of these games don't have ray tracing and, and a lot of the, you know, and, and don't need it really. So I, I, what I'm saying is, is like it, it almost feels like they're they're putting in 200 percent effort for like 25 percent marketing. If that, <laughs> you know what I mean, though, like, like, doesn't that doesn't that feel weird? Like, like if, whenever Apple comes out with a new feature, Apple's on this stage, they're talking about it. They're talking about how crazy it is they, when they had face ID um, instead of uh, fingerprint. That was all over the damn place. They had, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, sort of 3D graphics and all that stuff on the stage explaining how it worked and showing the sort of dot array that the thing detects with and showing the different angles that it works at and stuff like that. Even their, like, uh, emoji people, whatever they are. What are Memojis? they called? They're called what? Memojis. Memojis. So, like, even their Memojis. I almost called them emojis, but I guess the eye <laughs> is dead. But yeah. anyway, like, 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 even their Memojis... I feel like it was shown off more than their gaming stuff. And the Memoji <laughs> didn't right. <laughs> and the Memoji didn't require a part of their chip. Right. Like this just this just doesn't compute with me for some reason. Maybe maybe they think they've always been a gaming company because they they technically have. There's always been games on Mac and a lot of um game devs today got their start coding games on an Apple 2. Um I think yeah, Tim Sweeney from Epic included. But they're not fools like they they're aware of the whole gaming culture, like RGB, fancy computers and, you know, things like that. They know they're not that. Right. I mean, they have given not significant time, but they have given time to gaming at each of their last uh, WWDCs. They had they had they had a whole section showing off Resident Evil Village. Uh, they had Kojima come out um, to talk about Death Stranding a bit. Mm-hmm. So they, they have given a like primetime viewing section of their keynotes to gaming. Now they did they spend you know twenty minutes on it like they would some other feature no but they they it's still on their main stage that that little section you're talking about to to me and this is again this is my speculation and my my problem really is that section you're talking about of the presentation is what kicked off the rumors in my head and then there hasn't been as far as I know a big showing of gaming like that again and I feel like it's again it's like too much effort for the for the amount that they're showing off. Yeah, and I, I think Apple would actually be wise to maybe buy a developer, a game developer. Because as good as these games like look on Apple hardware, they're still just ported over. And that's never going to look or run as well as a dedicated game. I don't right? think they're going to buy a game developer. I don't think so either. But I think they'd be wise to do that 
to have an exclusive developed for Apple Silicon directly game, you know, triple uh, A high quality visuals, you know, I mean, they won't. I agree with you. I don't I think, think it's going to work. <laughs> I don't think that would even work. Why not? I don't think it. So here's the thing, though, is if, if somebody says, oh, this is a console seller. I mean, a console nowadays, you know, realistically can be just a subscription fee mm-hmm. and a fire stick right. and, and, and streaming the game if it's on a, a service like Game Pass. Um, but to be like, Hey, we have this new thing Buy our $2,000 phone. Right. You know, it's sort of like, Oh, well that's less, less a console seller. Cause even the consoles, both the consoles together, the PlayStation five and the Xbox series in Canadian dollars does not total $2,000. But this is, this is kind of the, um, you don't buy a phone to game on it. You buy a phone because it's your, your life basically nowadays, which is exactly why an exclusive game makes no sense for them. Why would you try to convince them with a game rather than all the other features? Well, here's what I think. I think because the iPhone 15 is able to play those AAA games that we talked about, that means the Apple TV will also eventually be able to do that if they ever put these chips in there. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the Apple TV becomes a home console, right? So let me ask you this with with, with that, based on that home console thing. In your mind... Do you think that Apple is just trying to point out to the fact that they support gaming now, but I'm being overzealous. I'm thinking they're going to get into it too much or more than they are. Do you think that there's a good chance that they just want to be known as, hey, we're, you know, the home, um, the home and work computation company. Use our computers, you know, to do work and play. Use our phones for work and play. And also now in your living room. For work and play, it this thing, the Apple TV, presumably, will be able to play these really nice games. And then they're hoping, but just by being that supportive and doing you know virtually nothing else, that game developers will then go, oh, hell, may as well go on the Apple TV. And then they port their games to Apple TV and iPhone. Well, like to, to me, I think that Apple themselves is going to do more. Maybe they're just going to sort of like give the tools, but it's not going to be like a huge thing. Like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, in terms of Microsoft, but it's almost a wrong bit, bit of thinking because Microsoft Surface really has nothing to do with Xbox. Like right. Xbox is basically its own company that also owns a bunch of companies. You know, like Xbox itself is so so big. So like when we like talking on this podcast, you know, we talk about Nintendo and all these other companies. Those companies that we consider the the titans and the behemoths, they just pretty much do gaming, right? Mm-hmm. Like Xbox, minus Microsoft, but like Xbox is its own company type of thing. PlayStation, yes, it's associated with Sony, obviously, but PlayStation's huge. We see those as titans. And so because we see those, they just game. That's all they do, right? They, they make game consoles. They they have opinions on it. They make games and, and, and that's what they do. Whereas Apple is sort of like if Microsoft take Xbox out of the equation. If Microsoft was like, hey, we you know, play games on our surfaces, Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they I haven't seen a Surface uh, keynote in a while. But when the Surface book came out, I remember like they were talking about how like the Surface book two has more FPS. And the guy's like, I don't know why gamers want more FPS, but it's capable of doing it type thing. <laughs> right. You know, uh, that I guess is my is my thing is like we're in this sort of like we're looking through it. Th- th- we're looking at the situation, or at least I am through the lens of. Like I'm expecting them to act like a gaming company. I'm expecting Apple to act like a gaming company when in reality, right. they're just sort of like. We have computers and you can also play games on them. And we have a bunch of other products. And you can also play games on them. I think it's a bit, I think it's two pronged here. I think, I think it's a hobby for Apple right now. Right. 
but I think they're laying the seeds. Okay. And I think the issue they're going to have right now is that obviously Mac desktops and laptops are a tiny fraction of overall PC sales, right? So developers, this is traditionally why they haven't really made games for Macs because there just wasn't the market for it, right? Um, so I think Apple's trying to now make the iPhone, which they sell you know hundreds of millions of, right? That is where developers will put their time and money because there's a market there. However, they're probably wary just because it's Apple who has not always been, you know, straightforward when it comes to games. So I think we're in that hazy period where the developers are feeling out Apple and Apple's trying to give them features to to say, yeah, no, come onto our platform and make games for us and stuff. So uh, I think we'll have to see where they're at in like five years, you know. You think it's going to be that long before we sort of see any, like any moves? Well, or look, do you think how, that it would a little peter out? Look how slow they're taking it now. So the M1 came out. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, you can run your your x86 games through compatibility. And they were just like, look how great it runs. That was it. That was basically the gaming section they showed when they announced the new Apple Silicon chips, right? Yeah. Then the M2 comes out. I don't know if they showed off any games for that. Or no, Resident Evil, I think, Village was shown off running on M2 chips, right? And then that also came to the iPhone eventually, but that's later on. Um, and then the M3 comes out, and that's when they start introducing things like ray tracing and whatnot. So it's like each each new Apple Silicon generation is doing something a little bit more for gaming, right? So I'm just saying, just broadly speaking, in five years, if they keep up this trend of continuing to support gaming with the Apple Silicon chips, you might get to a point where, you know, the games are indistinguishable from their PC counterparts. Because right now, even with the best Apple Silicon chips, a, a village like Resident Evil Village will not run as well or as smoothly as a spec out PC, Right. But in five years, who knows? Apple's already looking at two nanometer chips for their next generation Apple Silicon. Right. They're, look, they're looking at one nanometer. You know, you got Intel or whoever um, talking about <laughs> fractions of nanometer chips coming out. Apple will be on top of that when those come to market. Right. So I, I think it'll be very interesting to see where we're at in five years. Fan. Fractions of nanometer just make me feel scared. Like I feel like it's just for some reason like there's going to be a lot of fires or something for like yeah. a while. Yeah. And just disclaimer, I am an Apple shareholder and and a registered Apple fanboy. So I mean, I'm also an Apple shareholder, but I have like two shares. So yes, yeah. let, let's relax. Like, <laughs> no, Matt's rolling in it. Rolling in those two shares. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next game here. Um, next story. Sorry, Microsoft cancels new Blizzard video game after six years of development. This is from Bloomberg. Video game maker Blizzard Entertainment canceled one of its biggest projects on Thursday as part of a reorganization under the new owner, Microsoft Corp. That led to massive layoffs of 1,900 people or 8% of the gaming division's total staff. The cancellation of the game, codenamed Odyssey, uh, the Magnavox Odyssey, uh, left Blizzard employees reeling as some lost their jobs and others were left wondering about the future of the studio. Microsoft announced the news in an email to employees early Thursday morning. And many members of the Odyssey team were subsequently informed that they were being let go. The news arrived three months after Microsoft closed the $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard in the largest video game deal in history. Uh, so, Matt, this um, this was like their first new game since Overwatch, and it was canceled. And we do have some data on what the game actually was, I believe. Did I put that somewhere? Oh, did I not put that in here? I, I, I don't see it in here. Oh, my God. Horrible at making these, uh, these, what do you call it? Podcast layouts? <laughs> Podcast layouts, yeah. All right, just give me one second here while I look up. Uh... Oh, here it was. 
is it was a survival game. Wait, that wait, that was it? I thought you were going to have like a big <laughs> you're going to have like a big like was well, the thing about it. <laughs> despite the challenges, Odyssey appeared to be making progress. People who played early versions of the game enjoyed it and thought there was a lot of potential in the market for a survival survival game that hit Blizzard's bar for quality. That's questionable. Okay. So anyway, the survival game. I mean, we just played Power World. That was a survival game. Did we really need one from Blizzard? Maybe, maybe not. But how do you feel about this whole situation? I mean, the layoffs suck for sure. Like it always, they always suck, right? Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Like it's like you know, yeah. Like there is a survival. Like there's definitely a demand for survival games. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's like a, a, an end to that demand. At least not of, as of right now. Because obviously, you know, you mentioned Power World. And like, do we need another one? But I mean, Minecraft is is a survival game. It was a survival game when it came out way, way back. Rust is a survival game. You know, Valheim survival game. The list goes on. Ark survival game. Ark 2 coming up. <laughs> survival game. The re, the revamp of the original Ark also survival game. There's the survival games. You know, they're all over the place. Uh, Steam is inundated with them in full out production and also early access as well. So, I mean, with that in mind... It's like, sure, you know, another survival game may have worked, but, you know, all we know is this thing is a survival game. And what'd you say? It was in development for six years. So, I mean, great. But was it good? Like, what type of survival game was it? There's tons of games, survival games that have died. There's tons of them that have done well and continue to do well. Power World is probably the latest sort of viral sensation in that genre. So, you know, what are we looking at with that? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, it, it's like they killed this project and that sucks for the employees, you know, no doubt. But what if like Microsoft shows up and it's just in development hell and it's been in development hell for three of the six years and they look at it and they go, this isn't fun. You know, this is behind the the the, the trends or the popularity or the popular features of survival games. We're out of here. Maybe that's maybe that's what happened. So it's, it's always hard to tell with these type of things. Right. Did I say it was, it was developed for six years? Was that somewhere? That's. Yeah. Oh, it's a headline. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, this is this is one of those situations where I always wish I was, you know, the fly on the wall type of thing. Why did Microsoft cancel this? You know, was was it a money sink? Was it not like getting any closer to to, to being finished after six years? Did they check it out and it just wasn't what they wanted as their new vision of of what kind of single player or not single player, but first party games that they want? You know, they never tell you why they canceled these things. It's just that it was canceled, you know, but I want to know the decisions that were made that led to the cancellation. Well, I mean, we're speculating right now, and I can only imagine if you opened up the door explaining things. I mean, especially if you explain them in detail, you're going to have people picking apart every single decision anyone's ever made ever. Oh, I don't expect them to to announce or to explain it, but I just want to know myself. Right, right. It's just it's just I just wish I was in that meeting. Um, One of the other things is they paid a bunch of money for this. Uh, for for Activision Blizzard, you know, layoffs are going to happen. Um, just because you're gonna have some some jobs that are getting crossed over and stuff, and it's just they want to reorganize the the company to fit in with Microsoft's objectives, you know. And so maybe they just like cut this because it's just not what they want, you know. It. I'm kind of wondering, although I don't know if this is true. Maybe you can kind of fill this in too. It's like you know, you're saying layoffs happen, and I was thinking, well. Yeah, because they have a bunch of they might have some redundant staff, not internally within Activision Blizzard, but within the other studios. Mm-hmm. But the other Xbox studios kind of operate independently. So I don't think that's right. Right. OK. Um, I mean, it's entirely possible as well that like Activision Blizzard has been kind of going through the ringer 
um, before Microsoft took over, right? Like one of the things that people wanted from the, the this acquisition was for Activision Blizzard to get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've had a bunch of sort of like inappropriate work conduct stuff that's happened. Um, but we don't know what's, at least I don't know what's happened sort of business-wise behind closed doors. And so Microsoft might show up and it might just be, there might be a whole bunch of redundant staff, unfortunately, or it might be a whole bunch of things where they're like, hey, you know, we don't, you know, we, we don't need another survival game. Why do you have 10 designers here sitting here waiting, you know, doing nothing when, you know, there's no, no there's no project for them coming up. Let's, let, let, let's, let's kind of get rid of that, get rid of that, clean it up a little bit. Um, I, I get the feeling that people didn't think this was going to happen though, for some reason, because of the cleanup. I feel like people thought that Activision Blizzard was going to get purchased and then Microsoft was just going to clean it up, get rid of sort of some troublemakers, um, or some people they didn't, you know, see fit or whatever, but sort of like higher up people. And then I think that they thought it was just going to continue on. I feel, I feel like people were more anticipating, and this is just my feeling on what the people were thinking is that. I get the impression that people thought they were they were excited for the cleanup. And I think they were excited for like the return of Activision Blizzard. Mm-hmm. And then Microsoft comes in and just does what businesses do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I. I well, you I have know. to. I mean, maybe you don't have to, but they, they spent sixty nine billion dollars. They're going to want to downsize to try to, you know, keep costs down. Right. Like every, this happens almost with every acquisition. They 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 fire people because they need to to recoup their costs. Mm-hmm. Now you're obviously not going to recoup sixty nine billion dollars. <laughs> I was going to say like how many people have been paid a billion dollars? Firing nineteen hundred people, but but you <laughs> need to take these decisions are made to to try to offset you know the debt you incurred from purchasing these things, right? And uh, I think I think Microsoft is in a weird position right now. They're obviously competing with Sony in terms of trying to get great quality single player games. And so maybe a survival game, you know, even even one made by Blizzard may might not just have reached a certain level of quality that they want, you know? Well, I man, this is such a weird like situation though cuz like you're right on the quality like Sledgehammer, I think Sledgehammer is the one that did Modern Warfare 3, right? Yeah. And it just made me start thinking, you know, Modern Warfare 2, as far as I know, was supposed to be the first sort of non-annual annual COD. Modern Warfare 2 was supposed to come out and be, you know, at least a couple of years. And then that didn't happen. Sledgehammer comes in. And yes, I know there was some, you know, politics and, and shuffling behind the scenes. And they make Modern Warfare 3. I wonder if this is clearing out room for COD not to be annual in a way. Because I assume the 1,900 people, like eight, like 8%, it says here, 8% of the gaming division's total staff, right? Um, Microsoft's gaming division. Oh, like Microsoft, like total Microsoft's gaming division. Oh, OK, because what I OK, so what I was going to say is like if if they're clearing out because like like Sledgehammer got hit by 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 some of these layoffs. Right. What I'm curious, yeah, is, I don't is, think it was just Blizzard. I think. Yeah, I think it was other Activision studios, too. OK, yeah. So what I was going to say is like, are they clearing the way to say, OK, COD's not annual anymore? Um you know, we don't want COD to be annual anymore. So we need like we can basically remove a studio. Not that mm-hmm. they did that, but like they can because there's obviously multiple studios working on Call of Duty. Do they need that many studios working on Call of Duty anymore if it's right. no longer going to be annual? Is that the beginning of that? I mean, that that's total rumor. It's just something that popped in my head when you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I think the Blizzard and Activision studios are separate, too. So firing, you know, Blizzard staff, I don't think is going to affect Activision all too much. Yeah, maybe the game was crap. <laughs> you know, we don't we don't know. 
that's that that's the number one thing, right? Is it's just like we don't know what we don't know what the heck. Like we we don't know the status of that game. Yeah. We don't know what Microsoft's plans are. And even Phil's like for for Activision Blizzard in general, I mean. Mm-hmm. And Phil Spencer himself even said that, you know, they normally would have had already had the conversations and the plans laid out on what games go to Game Pass and all these sort of like little nuances sorted out, but they couldn't have been sorted out by the time the acquisition was complete because they were um, navigating all of the regulatory loopholes. Yeah. So it's a, you know, maybe this was always in the cards. Like maybe this was in the talks. Hey, Mm -hmm. we got to, you know, we got to lay off some people. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Well, we'll never know. See, this is what, this is what's so annoying. We'll never know. Uh, There was a couple other um, either resignations or layoffs or whatever, but as part of this reorganization, Blizzard also parted ways with President Mike Yabara and Chief Design Officer Alan uh, Adam, one of the company's co-founders. Blizzard said its new president will be announced next week. I saw a TikTok and like, I mean, take this with a massacre and assault. I saw a TikTok that said that apparently people weren't aware of if, if, if they're being laid off and that they would be informed by the end of the day, whenever this like on the day that this happened. And I think this co-founder was one of them that said he like he wouldn't go quietly or something. But again, it's TikTok. Like, who knows if that actually was said? <laughs> I I kind of doubt that, but I don't know if you if you were the co-founder of of Blizzard or or whatever studio maybe I'm not sure what what he was the co-founder of. Um, yeah, that would be weird, you know, getting getting fired. It's like the uh, the Oscorp from the, the <laughs> from Tobey Maguire's uh, Spider Man. You can't do this to me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I built this company or whatever the the rest of the line is. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to skip our last story just because it's getting kind of late here. Um, so what? we're going to just jump into what we're playing. Matt, what have you been playing this week? I'm jumping into the last story. That's what I've been playing. Um, what? But no, uh, this week, this week I've been playing um, a fair bit, actually, of Starfield. I jump back into Starfield. Uh, I decided to sort of take your advice, Ryan, from a few months ago and decided. Well, you, you, you kind of told me like way back that if you just did the quests, if you if, if I if I just did quests that it was just like another Bethesda game more or less right and so I thought okay like I'll I'll give that a go and so that's what I've been doing is I I went back into Starfield and I just decided to do just decided to do quests straight up um I've been doing a, like a like a fair bit of them uh, I finished one quest line I finished the Ranger quest line for the Free Star Collective and then now I'm on to um, another one. Now, this is a this is spoiler territory. But Ryan, you've done this. This is spoiler territory, specifically for the Van. Um, what the hell are they called? I think they are. They, yeah, the UC Vanguard mm-hmm. uh, storyline. There is there is something that I noticed about Starfield that I've mentioned, I guess, a little bit because I know we've dunked on this series a whole bunch. But there's something that I've noticed in this that makes Starfield so like mediocre, really. So yes. You're right, Ryan. If you're playing this, if you're playing the quest, you know, it is largely just feels like a Bethesda game for sure. But there's just this like layer that's so unbelievable. And there's this part in the in, in the story. Here's here comes the spoiler where you have to go into this archive that's locked behind sort of the politics of a war that happened. So there's sort of three political figures. There's the Free Star Collective, the United Colonies and the Varun. And basically, you have to get them all on board. And it's this really high level clearance to unlock the data 
that is inside of an archive. And this data was largely used in the war, like, you know, something like mech schematics and things like that. And we need this in order to to really like like save save lives for a certain reason in the story. So we need this. We need this technology, basically. Uh, we need this information about this technology. And you go and you convince these these uh, ambassadors. You go talk to the UC, you get them on board. You go talk to the Starfield Collective, you get them on board. And these are like fairly, you know, in intricate quests. Like you get there's chat options and persuasions and you can blackmail them. You can steal the thing. You can convince them different ways and all this stuff. And then there's like one that's sort of like a mystery and you go and solve the mystery. And so it's like a pretty big thing. I get all the clearances and they say, OK, go over to the archives. And I leave the sort of the building, the political building that I'm in. And I walk across the street and I go to the archives and I go into this sort of, you know, top secret spy level. Okay, you know, this is how it's going to work. You're going to go over to each terminal. Each one of them will, you'll, you'll take your approval card and put it into a slot. It'll then approve it. This big vault door will open and you'll walk in to, you'll go to this cabinet. You'll go to this drawer and you'll get the data out of there. So it's this big spectacle, right? Mm-hmm. I go and I get this information and they say, well, when you get the information, you got to come back to the entrance because they don't want you rummaging around the other the other bits of data. Makes sense. This stuff is clearly very volatile. Whatever. It is on my person. I'm not under guard. The people that need it don't come to the to the archives with me, not even to the entranceway or to the to the to the outside door. And I have to walk among the public with this incredibly valuable piece of data, walk through the crowds of the crown jewel of the United Colonies, New Atlantis, with this extremely volatile piece of data mm-hmm. to bring it to these political people. And they're just standing in an office. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, <laughs> what do you like? What do you mean? You know, like, mm-hmm. why isn't this person with me? Why isn't this person, even if they're not allowed in due to security protocol, what, but yet you're allowed to give them the, the information. Why aren't they? What? Why aren't there guards? Why is this like, just like go over here and pick up this item. Ooh, a bit of a spectacle there. All right, back with the item. And here's a crazy thing too. So there's a person you're supposed to give the data to. Now, I don't know whether this is for a branching piece of the quest. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know. There's a part where she says, are you ready to give me the data? And it's sort of like an official, like I hear you are, I present you with this data. Kind of like a, you have been served kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, there's a speech option and I never, I never clicked it, but it says, oh, hang on. I don't want to do that right now. I'll be right back. And I thought, oh, shoot, like maybe this initiates something and maybe it has that I haven't seen yet. Maybe this initiates something Um, and like I have to go with her or something like that. That's not the case because I gave her the data and I'm off doing another quest right now because I got bored of that quest line. I'm off doing another quest for my uh, companion. That is so unbelievable. Like what an unbelievable exchange. You you did a, a, a massive, politically difficult sensitive thing with a mystery faction effectively and two factions that were fighting each other, you know, ruthlessly with mechs and terror morphs. Yeah. And they gave you this top secret information that they, that they claim could potentially, you know, change the balance of of power. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really spoken up. And I walk through the streets with it without guards, Mm -hmm. stupid. And that is like in a nutshell, like what makes Starfield so freaking weird. Mm-hmm. Because 
again, like I've said it before with the roads where like nothing's connected by road, the crown jewel city, the crown jewel um, planet with um, with New Atlantis on it has no other cities on it. It has like a, I think it has a maybe maybe it has a, a civilian settlement or a citizen settlement or whatever. It doesn't have any other cities on it. And it's just like one of the big problems with this game is that the situations I'm in are just like not that like really that believable. Right. And like, I'm going to keep playing this game because I think the writing in many of the side quests is actually pretty good. It you know, a lot of it is Bethesda writing. So you're not getting the absolute amazing, you know, you're, you're getting what you'd expect out of a Bethesda game. But some of the quests are really well written and they're on like oblivion level. There's a few there's a few of these quest lines that are absolutely at sort of like the oblivion level, a game that was the Bethesda game that was really praised for its side quests. No doubt. Right. Mm-hmm. So like. I fully think that like I'm, I'm going to keep playing and there's a few goals I want to reach. I, I started with I started messing around with outposts and stuff. And there's one other thing I want to note about, about Starfield is and it's really brief is one of the things that sort of like Todd Howard and Bethesda team sort of always talks about and drives home is is player freedom. And, you know, you can kind of do what you want when you want to do this You can kill these people. You can betr- you can lie to them. You can persuade them. You can, you know, do a bunch of stuff. And that does exist in Starfield. No doubt. The main problem is, though is in something like a Fallout 4, which, yes, I know had some limited speech options, in terms of exploration, you come out of the vault and you're able to just, like, choose a direction and start running. You can just be like, oh, I'm supposed to go down to my, like, little village. Well, I don't want to do that. You can go and, like, see, a, you know, a silhouette of a tree 10 miles away or a silhouette of a weird-looking building 10 miles away the other direction. You go, I'm going to go over there. And you can just go over there. And yep. you can just go do a bunch of stuff. Starfield, you can't do that. Starfield, everything is is is... Oh, like I'm in the city, but if I want to go do this other thing, I have to like load. Oh, I want to rock around the planet, but like I kind of can't because I got these limitations, so I have to load. And so, like, there, the world is broken up. It's not so much about like freedom. It's like the vastness is fake. Yeah, if you will, way to put it. The vast, like, it's like this is vast, but it's behind a loading screen. (laughs) It's like, hang on, even Oblivion. Yeah, the cities and the, the the caves and the buildings I had to load into. Hardware limitation at the time, for sure. But, like, also, it, whatever. But I could run all the way from the southernmost city, which was Leowin, all the way toward the... Because um, the world is kind of in, like, an L shape a little bit. All the way toward Imperial City. Cut off west. Keep running and kind of go, like, southwest and go all the way to Anvil. I can go all the way to the coast, to the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. No loading screens, and there's a little thing that pops up every now on Xbox that says, like, loading area, but it's, like, two seconds, and it goes away. and doesn't always even show up. And it's, like, that game felt vast. I was able to run to Leowin, and if I wanted to go into a city, I have to hit a loading screen, sure, but, like, it wasn't that serious. But in, in, in Starfield, it's, like, here's a, you know, a square, you know, around your ship or a rectangle around your ship. Go running, but by the way, the only thing you're going to see is rocks, potentially trees, potentially some foliage. Like... <laughs> I don't know. It feels Weird. less like an exploration game and more of a loading experiences game. Yes. It's like, oh, I want to load the uh, combat simulator portion of this game. And you load that up, right? And oh, I want to load this planet. And it's like, well, you just got to load the city, then not the actual planet. You can't, you know, there's nothing else on the planet, just the city. <laughs> the combat thing you said was really interesting, actually, because there was a night I played it where played it for about three hours and I just didn't have any combat. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm in the market for some new armor. And I thought, man, like I've been doing a lot of talking in this game. But that holds true. It's because 
I was going around doing a bunch of quests and my guy is sort of like a swashbuckler. Like he's sort of like a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like really smooth. He's a smooth talker. That's, that's what he is. And he's a pirate, but he doesn't always go after everybody. He's not like completely evil, but like, I'm in, I'm in the game for money. You know, I'm in, I'm in the game for money and I'll do the right thing. If I think it's going to come to a better you know conclusion for me, um, I'll blackmail people and do things like that. And so a lot of my player uh, time and a lot of my uh, quest time is spent persuading people and that's talking. And there is no like combat in those sections. You're hundred percent right. Like if, and then I can like go and quote unquote boot that up by being like, I'm going to go to a moon. Oh, look, a science outpost is, is marked. I'll go land at this science outpost, run for five minutes through, you know, the nothingness, get to the science outpost. And then I'll just like fight like ecliptics or spacers or mm-hmm. ecliptics, I think uh, ecliptics or spacers. And that's it. Even like, And I don't know how to fix all that. You know, it's like, Ryan, I don't know if you thought this was weird, but Tim and I talked about this on an episode you weren't on where one of the things that drives me nuts, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit already, but like the planets only have one really like only have like one location on them in most cases. Yes, there's a bunch of points of interest, but like New Atlantis is on its planet. That's it. Aquila City. That's it. And there's like these little kind of points of interest, but like. There's no other sort of like big city. It's not like Imperial City, Breville, Leowin, Bruma, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't like that doesn't exist. It's like, oh, if I want to go to Aquila City and I'm in New Atlantis, you know, go through the loading screen thing and then I get there. I can't just go like, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to fly to or I'm going to if it was on the same planet, walk to like New Atlantis is surrounded by no colonies. It is completely surrounded by um by just like land and vastness and like procedurally generated nonsense that's super unbelievable mm-hmm. this is a massive city like why doesn't it like peter out kind of like what do you like what do you mean and we're on one planet so your engine should be able i would assume to load that i don't know nonsense uh, do you think this is fixable through updates no i don't is think it, that these is fundamental to the game I don't think, well, here's the thing. They'd have to, like, to me, they'd have to redo those sections. I think there's ways to fix fix Starfield in a way where, I was actually talking to Marty about this a little bit, where I believe that having some sort of tag that lets you know, and lore-friendly-wise, that a planet is procedurally generated. Like, maybe something like no complex life forms detected when you scan. Lets you know, this is a planet that's more or less used for dungeon jumping, or dungeon diving, excuse me, and also... Uh, going down and getting resources and building settlements. Mm -hmm. And so if I scan a planet and it says no complex life forms detected, okay, I'm out of here. Right. You know, those are, that's fine. If you clearly label the vastness, if you clearly label like all, all the places that are kind of useless, like, like that's fine. One of the thing, one of the places that's super unbelievable is hope tech. Hope tech is one of the ship manufacturers in the game and hope town. I don't know. I think it is actually called hope town. Actually hope town. Um, in and hope tech is run by ron hope the the main dude of, of hope tech and it's kind of known as like a rough and tumble town but that ron hope always kind of like comes through and the people are okay and and like you know it's kind of like a rough a rough place to be but i'll say this is like it doesn't feel like a town there's a huge factory there there's a couple of shops and then there's nothing else there's the spaceport and then there's nothing else there is nothing mm-hmm how is the, how is this a well known established like we're we're Ron Tech like we're we're like um we're like a big ship manufacturer in the world we're Hope Tech but by the way 
we're on some random planet surrounded by th- like three shops. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just really unbelievable, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so enough on Starfield. Uh, and then I, I did uh, also a bunch of Remnant 2. I've been playing Remnant 2 uh, quite a bit. <laughs> Fucking sad, sad shit. So we were going to beat it this week. Ryan, you were unavailable on stream. So Tim and I were like, okay, you know what? We're going to like try to build our characters out a bit. So I go and I get like my full Adriano on. I get like my one note out. I get a, a, a table. <laughs> I get my table yeah. going and I write out like a build that I want and all the gear. And I put links to the wiki pages and where the gear is and, you know, where it can potentially spawn and all the rest of it. And there's like a checkbox there for whether I have it or not. Um, and I'm like, okay, like I'm good to go. Tim and I log on. We're like, okay, great. This is going to be great. We rename the stream. We do all kinds of stuff and servers are down and the servers are down for the whole time. <laughs> Mm. we tried everything we tried like pc we tried pc to xbox we tried like looking it up online no one was really talking about it we tried the reddit no one was really talking about it we went on to the discord and somebody was bitching about the same problem we had like the exact same problem that we had um but no one answered them like it was just a classic like group chat where someone's like hey like this is down has anyone else experienced this and everyone's just sort of like yeah like who the hell is this guy like we're not gonna talk to him and so like <laughs> we <laughs> like i mean no one told them off they just ignored him completely but and it was just like, it was just a mess. So we ended up streaming like, and like way late too. We didn't end up like streaming to Twitch, but we ended up streaming, um, Gears of War four. And we just played that together for a couple of levels. And, uh, oh, and I played a little bit of Far Cry six, a little bit of that, a little bit of that with my buddy, Alex played that. That was pretty fun. Um, oh, and, uh, what do we play apex or Fortnite? We played apex and a little bit of apex this week, but that has been my week. Uh, and we'll hopefully be able to finish, um, remnant next week or this coming wednesday i'm kind of scared that they don't know the servers are down oh okay well, <laughs> well maybe not they'll know how no one's we looked around no one was talking about it no but don't they don't they have their own monitoring systems i hope so <laughs> all right uh myself um not too much a bit i played a bit of um alan wake it is a horror game so i am struggling to like actually want to sit down and play it but but it is like a good game that I'm enjoying as I play through it. It's just getting me to play it is the struggle, right? Um, and then Power World, Matt. You forgot Power, Power World. That, that, that just goes without saying. <laughs> I mean, the whole world's playing it right now, right? Well, we can actually talk a little bit about Power World. Like, well, how do you like it? Because it's obviously like the big viral thing right now. I mean, it's it, it's. I have a big problem with make-your-own-adventure games. It definitely falls into that category, right? Even with... Uh, even with the like the like the bosses and all that stuff, well, that doesn't matter. That's part of make make your own adventure. It's like you don't have to go fight the bosses. We just we just did because it was fun. But you, same with Bethesda games. Like they'll be like, "Save my son." And be like, "I ain't gonna no, save but, your son." But, <laughs> but that becomes a quest in a quest log, and it becomes an objective. We have but, a quest but, log. No, we have a tutorial. Uh, but it might turn into a quest log. We don't know. But I'm just saying, there is no objective that says go kill that boss. Right now, we have go fight the something. I don't know what that is. The, the syndicate tower, go fight the, the, the people at syndicate tower or whatever. Right. Um, but there's no objective that says kill the world bosses in the, in the planet. Regardless, that's not the point. It's just like, it's just a, it's a survival game where you're supposed to just build up your base, catch new, new pals, you know, get better gear to catch even greater, harder to fight pals, that kind of stuff. So it's not my typical game that I like. However, it's it's been enjoyable, and this is this is probably true for most survival make your own adventure games. Is I enjoy them at first, 
it's getting me to continue going back and caring about playing. So I feel like that's going to happen with me here too as well. Well, let me ask you this. So like when you're playing a game like this, um, like I've talked to a couple people that played it and some of them are like, you know, it's a chill game whenever. And for me though, these games are never like super chill. Like I understand the chillness of it, um, but there's combat and there's certainly some, some moments, but like for me, whenever I see sort of like a table set up in front of me of all the different technologies and I find out I can automate, I immediately go, Oh, well I'm doing this inefficiently. And then I start trying to figure out the absolute best way to automate. And that's absolutely possible in power world because you can like, you can cut down trees yourself or you can get a tree sort of farm in your camp and get your pals to cut it down. Furthermore, some of them are better at it than others. And some of them have traits that will be like, Oh, this one's a foreman. Anyone who's gathering gets plus 25% bonus. So you can like really, really, really kind of nail down that efficiency. Yeah, I, I I do greatly appreciate the automation and and whatnot. But does that, that not drive you? Like 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 is that it? For me, that's a driving force. I guess that's my question. Is like for you, you're like I don't know if I want to return. But for me, it's like we're in Adriano's game. Next time he wants to play and we're all available, the very first thing I'm doing is like okay, then I'll like do a quick check around the base. What can be made more efficient? You know, is this Firefox literally? Is this Firefox not kindling fast enough? If not, let's go find another one or go find another Fire Pokemon that's better at it. No, I agree. I, I, that is a driver to continue playing it for me. I do want to play it again, actually, um, and continue playing it. But it, the, these survival games always get to a point where the task is just not worth my time. So it's like, okay, what do we need next? Oh, we're, we're starting to need ingots. Well, it's a little bit harder to find ore than it is rock, right? So, like, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll go out in, into a, a cave and get, get a bunch of ore and bring it back to our camp and, you know, make ingots, which allows us to build other things. But eventually, it's going to get to a point where it's like, you need this super rare item that takes you like 10 hours to find and 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 harvest and, and put into an actual like product or whatever. And that's where I'm like, okay, I'm no longer having fun anymore. This has become an actual like just challenge that I'm not interested in, right? Becomes more of like, it's, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like RuneScape when you're just like, I got to cut this tree down for like 100 hours. Like it's just, it gives me that same feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but see, I'd be fine having to cut down a tree for 100 hours. It's it's when it's like you had to go on a big old journey, you know, to find all this stuff and haul it back. And then it's like, oh, it got used up in, in, because we made one new crafting table. Now all our ore is used up. Right. Yeah, that's and then the it's same like, thing well, though. Like, I don't want to do that again, you know? So the automation is nice, but but at what point do they stop allowing us to automate? And it's like you have to go on these journeys to find super rare items. That's where I start losing interest. So like like with that being said, then like what would you want to do? Because you said like you said that the RuneScape sort of like cutting down a tree forever would be fine. Is that because it's you know it's sort of a one to one task where you're gathering logs, your inventory gets full, you go back to the bank, you dump it off back outside go cut down the tree is that because it's like kind of simple and yeah, even though it's, a, it's repetitive it's, it's easy okay it's obtainable yeah i i am fine with 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 repetitive things but as soon as it becomes like you know a, a pain in the ass to go do it's just not worth my time right well what do you mean by pain in the ass like a ch- like is it challenging so for example ryan like you and i went into that cave that was like kind of challenging i think it's a we're in a low level area so it's a low level cave but you know like that you could see that being really challenging, especially the last boss kind of gave us some trouble, right? It's not well. It's not even challenging. Like obviously, I don't mind a challenge. Like I don't want that to come across that mm-hmm. I don't like challenges. Obviously, I play games. There's challenges. 
I I enjoy a challenge in overcoming them. I like the Dark Souls games and whatnot, blah, 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 blah. Right. But it's just, it gets to a point where it's like, you need too many things. It's like, okay, now you need new armor. It's like, okay, what do I need to get armor? Okay, you need this certain thing. It's like, okay, I, I can do that. And then you do that, and it's like, oh, but you need a new weapon. It's like, okay, I need a new weapon. I gotta go do that. And then it's like, okay, you go into this cave, you get your ass kicked. And it's like, okay, I need this type of weapon. You go do that. You know what I mean? It just starts building upon... You need a thousand different things before you can have fun. And that's my problem with survival games. So are you trying to get to the end game, like the best armor and best weapon of a survival game? Would you prefer that? Get there quickly and then you just sort of like run around and have almost like combat struggles where there's just like difficult bosses, but you objectively have the best weapon and that. And the reason why I, I think- ask that is because like with Starfield, like you have like a fair bit of equipment. Like, do you not like progressing your equipment in those games either then? So it's not like limited to survival? I think I think you actually struck on something here. Um, to me, playing games is more about the fantasy of playing them. Of we, we talked about this when it followed. You get to a point in Fallout where you can just kill anything. You're no longer afraid of entering a building because you can just kill it. You're, you're, not, you're not taking cover in a firefight either. Right. I like that kind of, I guess you could call it power fantasy you know, over the struggle to get there. I just want to boot up a game and be a badass, you know, and and, and play through levels like that. I think you should play Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> You're like a god. You kill thousands of people on the first level. <laughs> like, But I, I, I get what you mean, though. Like, it, it gets a little bit much, especially when you go and look it up. Like, if we went into a cave and it was like, you need, like, you know, we get killed. We look it up and it's like, oh, you need these water gloves. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. how do we get the water gloves? Well, the water gloves requires this, which requires this, which requires a refinery, but you need to get the technology. And it's like, oh, God, you know, like when the pacing is is messed up, where instead of it just being like, what do I need? I need this ore and I put it in my refiner and I go. It's not just that. It's like, I don't know where that ore is. I don't know how to get that technology you know, it's like too many layers. It's like, I also need a pal to do that, but I don't have that pal. Okay, I need to level up as well to leave this biome. And then it becomes like this. It's too much to remember. Yeah. And then it starts getting like lost in translation. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So once the game reaches that point, there's some there's some point. I don't know where it is, but there's some breaking point where I just stop caring about having to do the work to achieve the goal that they have set out for me. When did you hit that in Valheim? Because Valheim is really once you kind of play it a little bit and you kind of move base a couple times or move biome a couple times, you know what you're doing. Right. So like when did you when do you think you hit that with Valheim? Because there is an objective, you know, kill the five or so bosses. You know that the bosses are in different biomes and you know that you need to summon them in a particular way. So like and and you didn't stick around to the end. So was it the grind of Valheim? Because I would say Valheim is one of the more simple, at least when I played it, one of the more simple games where you could just go to each place, each biome, and, I mean, realistically build a small shack mm-hmm. just for shelter kind of thing, and then live there. But And it's not super, super, super complex. It's more complex of like, oh, I need my metal. I can't go through a, t- a teleporter so I need to either grind for more metal or I need to get a ship and move the metal onto the ship and then take the risk of like moving my metal across the sea. Mm-hmm. So like, do you remember when when Valheim kind of like was killed for you, like dead, dead to you, I guess? Well, the three of us played it, right? Or was that right? Or no, the three of us played it like, well, it was it was uh, Aaron, 
uh, you, myself, and then a few other randoms that kind of came and went. Because, I mean, that that could be a problem, too. Just people fall off of survival games, it seems. We just mm-hmm. stop playing them collectively. So that, that could be that could factor into it, too. So if you and Adriano keep playing Pal Worlds um, and I'm like still able to keep playing it, I might play it longer. But like like uh, Pokemon, um, not Pokemon, uh, Lego Fortnite is a prime example. We stopped playing it. Well, you you and Marty actually stopped before before Wes and I did for sure. Yeah. But once people start falling off, then I also lose interest. And so that could be a problem, too. So even if it's like, you know, you build you build like the block, like everyone builds their little house, like you build like a like a village that's like one block square or whatever. And yeah. everyone has a house. And then like one house becomes abandoned. It, like the the illusion starts to go right mm-hmm. where it's sort of like, oh, like this is coming to an end. Yeah. And, and I find I don't actually want a lot of freedom either in games. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm an Apple user, right? I want a walled closed off garden where there are rules, right? Right. Where you do things in certain ways. I don't want a, a sandbox. That's just not my, the type of personality I have, you know? Well, with with Power World specifically then, I know it's not Pokemon, but it's like, you know, Pokemon-ish. Let's be serious. Um, is there any allure for you to play it solo? Because, no. <laughs> no. Not. no. Would you Would you be inclined to play something like, I don't know how objective it is, but... Would you be inclined to play something like Pokemon Arceus, which is like kind of similar-ish, kind of? Yeah, I do actually have interest in playing that game. Because it would be more objective, like you'd go face, I presume, you face gyms and that that's, type of thing? There's, there's a path, there's, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's an end goal, and I'm sure there's something similar in PAL World, you know, but it just seems too open. But in the Pokemon games, I, now I only ever really played gold back in the day. It was like, you know, you, you you get your Pokemon and you go from town to town and you you fight the gym leaders. Right. And then there's a there's a there is an end game. Like you you do finish those games. Power World seems like there's no end. There's just just play. It is really access, to be fair. Uh there does seem to be bosses though, like specific bosses at, at towers, and there's also sort of I'm just gonna call them boss Pokemon walking around. Yeah. Um out in the open. And then there are literally bosses, uh, which because we killed one and it said it was a boss, inside of a cave. Yeah, I, I don't know. I find I find this interesting. Like I find I find it interesting that because I, I agree with you. I agree with you in a lot of points, like something like like Power World. It's like right when we started, you know, you guys were messing around. Adriano was messing around with the building. You got I, um, I'm not sure what you were specifically working on, but you were constantly working on something. And I immediately was like, I wonder what's down there. And I just kind of like took off, found a kind of a cool area was like, OK, start building my base. And I'm like, oh, you can automate this. Great. I'm going to be addicted to this, like addicted to making it min maxed. And then I start going and I just start like going down like the tree of like technologies. But like I it's weird how like we all play survival games differently, but yet we don't have like a survival save that's lasted years. Yeah. All of us. It's almost like we like I know there's like people out there, obviously, that have played, you know, the same Minecraft server for probably a number of years. Um that would never be us, but yeah, we always want to try the latest survival game. It's pretty interesting. But yeah, because we hop on the trend, right? Because like you can't like Pal World was huge. Um, Valheim was huge too, actually. Valheim was huge. Minecraft was huge. So we tend to hop on the trends, but it's just clearly not our type of games because we don't we don't keep playing them. I yeah, because I, I was gonna say like I always I I think the allure to me anyway is is the setup. 
It's like I rushed the setup when I first started in Power World. Run around, find the bosses, find out that there's, you know, kind of a day-night cycle. Uh, and with that, you know, sort of certain Pokemon seem to come out at certain times. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Run around, like find uh, an ancient ruin. Find out that there's people you can talk to. Okay. Oh, I like this area. How do I build a base? And then once I get the base down, it's like I rush to establishment. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got my house. I got my thing to build. I have uh, food on, you know, food is... Uh, is done for me you know people are the the pals or whatever are planting and harvesting um the wood is done for me stone is done for me so that i don't have to like run out and keep hitting rocks but then you're right then i kind of look at like the vastness of what's left and it's sort of like oh god like now i gotta go into caves (laughs) yeah it's like my allure personally is the is that like initial setup Mm -hmm. and like i think that might be why a game like arc is always like a question mark to me because I always want to play Ark for some reason. And I always and I get every time I've, I've started it, 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 it kicks our ass. And, and if we're, we're scrubs for it, we're scrubs for it. But it kicks our ass. And then <clears throat> I'm just like, OK, like this game is, you know, A, it's, it's pretty hard. And B, it's a little grindy. And C, like the people around me have left. So I'm not going to like continue this save by myself. And so I stop playing. But the reason why I think I always want to go back to that game is because I've never been established in it. Right. I've never had an established base. Whereas in like Valheim, I don't really have a drive to go back, even though they're like, we added like a boss and, you know, a new biome and stuff. To me, it's like I've played Valheim. Like I've I've been established. I've gone across places. I've transported goods. You know, I've decided to grind for goods instead. And I've played in big groups and small groups. I've played Valheim. So like the, it's, it's like the, the setup, like the setup craving. Mm hmm. Uh, interesting i don't know survival games are weird like that because there's always like one person builds one person does this one person does that and it's just i I find it interesting yeah all right that's it for this week um watch us uh, stream on twitch twitch.tv slash patch media wednesdays 9 p.m eastern and we'll see you guys next time peace